We're going to get into God's Word now. If you could turn to Joshua 9. We are in Joshua 9. Not only do the Israelites and the elders and Joshua learn a lesson, but today we are going to learn one as well. Folks, I know you're with me when I say that we all make mistakes. Some are little ones, some are great. The majority of mistakes can be corrected, but we do have to live with the consequences and repercussions of our mistakes, don't we? I'll tell you, step on some toes, if you're not making any mistakes, it's probably because you're not doing anything. Because we know as humans, once we're out there, once we wake up and start, there's a mistake to be made. But Joshua, and in this book here, chapter 9, we're going to learn of a pretty doggone big mistake. And it's one that we make frequently, frequently. Joshua and Israel faced a great enemy that was everywhere. People groups that occupied the hill country. People groups that occupied the lowlands. People groups that occupied the border of the great sea. They were surrounded as they were uh, entering the promised land in this conquest of Canaan. They faced great opposition, great opposition. But you and I, we face great opposition too. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's three great enemies for you and I that we face. We face Satan, we face the world, and we face ourselves. Before you dismiss yourself, you got to remember what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. So yes, self-deception is real as well. Deception can take advantage of us. It can even overcome us at times when we have limited perspective. Please remember that. Limited perspective. And the reason for our limited perspective is because we leave God out. We do not consult Him in all things, which is the title of today's message, Consulting God. Today's Scripture is going to teach us that why consulting God should be the very first thing we do in our everyday lives. I know we're busy. We're busy with work. We're busy with families. We all have a calendar to live by, a clock to live by. But the very first thing we should do in our everyday lives, no matter how big or how small, is we must include God in every part of our lives. Every part. So, to recap, Joshua and the nation of Israel, they defeated Jericho. Uh, Eventually, they defeated Ai. Then they went out and made a covenant renewal, a covenant renewal. That means they were reaffirming their commitment. That was perfect timing. Reaffirming their commitment. Now, they were in the hill country when they were reaffirming reaffirming this commitment, so they had a really good vantage point. They could see across the land as far as the eyes could see. They were in a good place, and they realized, well, this is all the land that God is giving us. This is what this conquest is about. What they didn't realize is that there were a group of kings there in Canaan who were planning to attack them. So if you look in your Bible, Joshua 9, let's read the first two verses. 
As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. This is the southern part of Canaan. This is not of all… Folks, you have to remember, this is a vast amount of land. They're not facing all the kings here. This is the southern region. So, when we're talking about all the kings, we're talking about the kings in these, this area. Now, they chose to fight together instead of being picked off one by one. Now, this is interesting because these kings really didn't get along that well. But it's interesting to me because they had this, this uh, common enemy that brought them together. The common enemy brought them together um, that would be heading their way sooner. It reminded me of Jesus. Jesus had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These two people groups didn't like each other at all. But they came together in order to scheme and plan to destroy Jesus. So a lot of times when we have a common enemy, we can put our differences aside, and that's what these kings are doing. But the Bible says as soon as they heard this, heard what? Well, look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. So we have the start. There's going to be more information given to you. We have the start of what they heard. Jericho fell. They lifted their voices and trumpets blew and the walls came down. I fell. But I wonder what, in hearing this, that maybe they thought, you know what? They could have heard that I was defeated. I mean, I had defeated them. You remember the very beginning, before we knew about Achan's sin, the Israelites attacked I, and then they hightailed it. They were running away. They lost 36 men with their backs turned to them running away. God was not with them in this battle. Once they corrected the mistake, remember the things that Achan took, devoted to destruction? Once they corrected the mistake, God was with them, and they defeated I. But maybe they thought... Hey, I did take them in the beginning. If we join forces, maybe we can conquer them and end this. It could have been a thought of theirs. But let's look at verses 4 through 10. Because today, I'm just setting the stage. Today, we are talking about uh, an enormous amount of deception. And folks, you face deception every day. How do I know that? Because you live in the same world that I do. Let's look at verses 4 through 10 here. They on their part acted with cunning. We're talking about the people of Gibeon here. They on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Well, who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a great report 
We have heard, excuse me, we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. Okay, so they're reporting what they've heard. Now, in the very beginning of this text, I told you there were many people groups. This group from Gibeon was part of the Hivite family. They're the Hivites, not all of them, but this particular group we call Gibeonites were the Hivites, and that's important because they are setting up their deception. See here, we can, say, we can see here that they are beginning to take advantage of Joshua and the elders' limited perspective. They are taking advantage of them in their deception. You've got to look at the cunning of this people group. I mean, they are playing the part very well, worn-out wineskins, old crumbly bread, provisions that are just falling apart. Their sandals are worn out. Their clothes are disgusting. It looks like they have traveled very, very far. They're playing it well. But Joshua, we can tell that Joshua and the elders were suspicious and questioned them. Who are you? And where do you come from? What, are you, what if you're actually, what if you live among us and you're playing us? They were suspicious. But the distant country part, that's part of the deception. See, the distant country, Moses told them, you can make treaties and covenants with people outside of Canaan, but those in Canaan you will destroy. So by them coming and looking worn out, like they've traveled so many hundreds and hundreds of miles for so long, we just wanted to reach you, we're your servants. It was a total deception. It was, it was cunning. It was brilliant. They're trying to save their lives and prolong the Hivite name, the Gibeonite name, by deceiving this nation. So they claim to be from far away. But it's interesting what they say to Joshua about why they're here. It's very close to what Rahab said to the two spies. She spoke of the things of Egypt, didn't she? She spoke of the two kings. These were things that the people knew. Now, they're also, you're all going to find out, they also knew about the Jordan. They knew about the defeat of Ai and the defeat of Jericho. That'll come into play as well. But these people are afraid. They do not want to fight. Look at verses 11. Verse 11 through 13. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins, they were new, right? When we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And the garments and sandals of, our, uh, uh, of ours are worn out from the very long journey. No king, which helps the deception in the play here. There's no king. Our elders want to send a delegation to you. We're your servants. Look how far we've traveled. We have proof of how far we traveled. Just come look at our garments. Look at our provisions. So the cunning is still in play. And I got to tell you, they are using everything in their arsenal to deceive Joshua and the elders so that they will make this covenant. And making this covenant would do this. It's going to secure the very lives of the people of Gibeon and its surrounding cities, meaning they will become vassal. When a larger group conquers a smaller group, 
and doesn't wipe them out or kill them, they become vassals. That means they become subservient to that larger group or the stronger group, the more powerful group. And here they're saying, we're your servants. We're subservient to you, but you in turn have to protect us now. You're like our, 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 our grandiose babysitter. You have to protect us now. And that's what they were looking for, to secure their lives. But if we go to verses 14 and 15, so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them, and there it is. There it is. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. This will be the second time. You remember the first time? Yeah, go ahead, let's defeat I, let's take them. There was no counsel. The ark wasn't present with them. They just went forward on their own understanding, with their own limited perspective, and 36 men were killed. They lost that battle. That's the first mistake, right? They corrected it. They corrected it. But here we are, and we're looking at peace being made. Peace is being made. A covenant is being made. An oath is being sworn. The Gibeonites had successfully deceived Joshua and the leaders of the nation of Israel. They did it. But in those seven words, even though peace and the covenant, the oath, in those seven words, we see that they did not ask counsel from the Lord. We see that consulting God was left out of this whole encounter with the Gibeonites. Now, you got to go back. They crossed the Jordan River. Miles of water was separated for two million plus people to cross on dry ground. They crossed, and then they set up 12 memorial stones so that in the years to come, as parents walked by and their children saw these stones, they go, Mom, Dad, what is that? Well, that, that's the power of God. That's for us to remember what He did for us crossing the Jordan, bringing us into the promised land. We're to remember that. They set up these 12 stones, and then He gives them Jericho, this mighty double-walled city. It comes tumbling down. They defeat Jericho. And then we have Achan. They're going to go attack Ai now, but they don't know Achan took things from Jericho, things that were devoted to destruction. He hid them in his tent, remember? But nobody consulted God before going to Ai. Nobody consulted God and asking, should we fight? Should we attack? They went, they leaned completely on their own understanding. So when Achan admits his sin and, his, and the guilt, he brings these things to Joshua and the elders, his children, him, his tent, everything. Everything is killed. Everything is burnt. And they heap a whole bunch of stones over Achan. Another memorial to remind us of what sin does, of what disobedience does. So they had two different memorials full of stones. And then what do they do? After realizing their fault, God gives them eye, and then they head out farther to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And what do they do there? They renew the covenant. Joshua reads every word that Moses had ever written in the law. He reads it. They say it to each other. It's a special time. He writes it on the stones. Let's not forget about this. We forgot, but now let's not forget about it. 
And yet here again, we see God was not consulted. What a mistake. You and I can look at this text and go, my goodness, what is wrong with these people? Right? It is so easy to look at the big picture here that we have and point fingers of blame, but we can't because we're exactly the same. We do exactly the same thing. Remember right when they crossed the Jordan, they, all the men were circumcised. They observed the Passover. They were in line with God's will. They were in tune. You know what I mean? Yet they made another mistake. Verses 16 through 21, I'm just going to talk to you about them. What they do is, uh, uh, the Bible tells us at the end of three days, in the end of three days, uh, after the covenant was made, the people hear something. The leaders hear something. What did they hear? Well, the so-called people from afar actually were neighbors. They lived among them, meaning they were one of the people groups that were to be destroyed along with all the other cities in Canaan. They were devoted to destruction. They got them. They tricked them. Very crafty. The nation of Israel then set out. They reached these cities. They reached Gibeon. They reached a place called uh, Kephira, uh, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. Those are the, the cities right there with these Hivites. Not all the Hivites, but this group. Four cities. And there was no attack even though it was a command by God given through Moses, there was no attack on the part of the Israelites due to what they swore to the Lord. They could not break this oath. But they were to destroy all the inhabitants of the land. God was giving them all the land. So they murmured. You remember that word in the wilderness when they murmured against uh, Moses? Murmured means to complain, to complain. They were not happy. Why? Is it because Joshua and the elders went against God's plans? Could that be one of it? Could it be that they were worried about intermarriage with this, this new community, with their sons and daughters, uh, learning their customs and worshiping their gods? It could have been. Um, I'm leaning more towards that they did not get the spoils. If they attacked this, they would get, they'd get the spoils. That's four great cities of weaponry, of food, of clothing, animals. It could have been any number of those things, but they were not happy. But the leader said, let's not compound our mistakes here. Let's not put one mistake on top of another on top of another. We swore an oath, and we cannot break that with God. We've already broken it, the covenant. We were already deceived. We were tricked. We can't follow through, so we're not going to do another mistake. We're going to make them cutters of wood and drawers of water. So go with me, folks, to verse 22. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. 
So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Joshua wants to know why the deception? Why did you deceive us? And they add to their previous answer from earlier, like I told you they would, Remember when he asked, who are you and where do you come from? And he gave that answer from a far country. We heard what you did to those two kings. We heard about Egypt, right? The parting of the sea, the defeat of Aero. We heard all this. But now they're responding again, very much like Rahab. Very much like Rahab did. They're responding, we knew the certainty of this. We knew that God was giving you the land, We knew that. It was certain. We knew that you were going to destroy all the inhabitants of the land because it is certain. We were scared. We fear you right now. And this is why we did this thing. This is why we did it. So they give a completely honest answer to the deception. But the damage is done. The mistake's been made. The oath's been sworn. So Joshua states they are cursed. And now they mention this, cutters of wood and draws of water three times. This is what, there'll be menial labor. They'll be subservient. It's interesting that they were cursed and what they'd have to do is bring wood and water for the sacrificial system in the temple when we know Jesus was the ultimate curse, right? Because we were cursed. He became that curse and died for us. I just think it's interesting that this job kind of points to Christ. That's just a side note. But they would do this menial labor for the congregation, but even more important, for the house of God. Now, here's the point to this story. Please be prepared to understand what Joshua 9 is talking about. They were Hivites. We already know that people group was to be destroyed. They were Hivites. uh, The Israelites were forbidden to make peace. In Deuteronomy 20, we know this. They were forbidden to make peace because these people were devoted to complete destruction their fortresses, their cities. They were devoted for destruction. So we look at the text here and go, my goodness, come on, guys, get it together. Get it together. Folks, even when we've seen God's power proven in the past, even when we've seen it, we often press forward on our own strength. They were pressing forward on their own strength, We do it all the time. We take matters into our own hands instead of seeking the Lord. We do the same thing. We are living out Joshua 9 every day. I want to put a verse up on the screen here. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. You know this proverb. This verse is essential to understanding Joshua 9. And it's essential to understanding how we live out the mistakes of Joshua 9 every day. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's straightforward. You don't need a whole lot of, thank you, brother. You don't need a whole lot of interpretation there, do you? It's straightforward. It's there. You know what happened with Joshua and the elders? They were walking by sight instead of faith. And we do the same thing. I'm going to move forward on my own strength. I'm going to use my eyes instead of my heart. We do it all the time. But here's the amazing thing about our God. 
And Scripture proves it over and over. And I'm going to tell you, I'm living proof of this, and I think you are too. God succeeds even in our failures. When we make a mistake, when we fail, God still succeeds. And we're going to find this out in this next chapter, uh, next Sunday, this next chapter, we're going to use, well, excuse me, not we, God will use the mistake made by Joshua and the elders to accomplish His purposes. And you know, I got to tell you, my heart goes out to them because just like Rahab's family, they were the same. They were Canaanites. They had worshipped other gods. They were living under uh, horrible customs and, and, and practices. Yet Rahab and her family became a part of the Israelite nation. They were absorbed. I like to think that this group in their temple services came to know the one true God. And I do believe it because later on, and this is interesting, later on, we find after the Babylonian exile that 500 of the Gibeonites returned to Jerusalem and helped rebuild the walls in Ezra. So I like to think a group of these people, just like we know Jesus said, hey, master, slave, Jew, Gentile, all, all come to me. I like to see that in the Old Testament, just like Rahab's family. I like to see that, how they are included in this wonderful, wonderful movement under the love and care of God. So it's exciting to think about that. But you guys, kind of, if you don't know me, you know, I'm a nerd. I love documentaries, and I'll watch anything if it's a documentary. How a cup's made, uh, the, 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 the traveling uh, cycle of wolves, I don't, whatever weirdness it is, I'll watch it. So I, have you ever, ever heard of a Porsche spider? Raise your hand if I'm the only nerd. Okay, I got, oh, I got a few. <laughs> Welcome, nerds. So the Porsche spider is ugly as all get out. But it's interesting, a Porsche spider has eight eyes, amazing vision, amazing vision. It has a strategic brain, has a massive amount of brain power. And the one thing I hate about it is it can jump. It can jump like 50 times its size. Frightening, lightning fast jumps. But do you want to know what the Porsche spider is mostly known for? It's a master deceiver. Because what it hunts, what it kills, and what it eats are other spiders. It's a spider killer, but it's a master deceiver. It'll spend hours looking at its target, going around, seeing, figuring out how it wants to attack. And the majority of the time, what it does, it goes up to the web, and it makes itself look like debris, like leaf debris blowing in the wind, landing in the web, which happens all the time. And when that happens, spiders come down and they clear it because they don't want debris to show where their, their, their web is. That's how they catch their food. This Porsche spider, oh, this little booger, he will come up to the end and he'll look like just debris and he'll start plucking on that web. Just ding, ding. And every time that spider comes down, it jumps, sinks its lethal fangs in it and it kills it and eats it. Out of all the times I watch these little attacks, I know I can't witness all the accounts in nature, but uh, every time uh, the Porsche spider has won, because of the deception. It's hard to fight back when you're being deceived. Joshua 9 has proved that. So when I think of that Porsche spider, I think of my everyday life. Who's out there plucking that little web of mine? Where am I being deceived? You know, Eve believed a lie. We'll go all the way back to Genesis. Eve believed a lie. She knew what God commanded. She even quoted it to the serpent. She knew what was right. She knew what was wrong. But she believed the lie and she chose to sin. Folks, the devil did not force this. 
His cunning and his craftiness, oh, it was in play. But she chose to sin. Folks, it lands in our laps. I know the cunning was serpent. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the serpent was very cunning. I get that. Hey, the Gibeonites were very cunning. I get that. John 8 tells us that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. And then what is it said? He's the father of lies. And then 1 Peter, be on guard, man. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour someone. Just waiting. He's prowling around waiting to devour you. Folks, we live in a world that is influenced by Satan. You know that. Just go online or turn on the TV. You'll see that we live in a world influenced by Satan. Satan and his agents are deceivers. He's the master deceiver, right? He's the Porsche spider. And his agents are influencing this world. So we are surrounded by that. But not only that, guess what happens next? Our desires come into play. Aren't we living in this world? Aren't we tied to the things of this world? In a sense, we live in it, yes. So our desires come into play, our temptations. These giants, these obstacles in front of us, just like these great cities that Joshua faced. We face these things all the time. And guess what? This world, Satan and your heart want to deceive you. But it's on us. It's on us because we have a God who loves us. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We have the Word of God at our disposal. Page, paper, digitally, it's there. It's on us. Because see, what happens was, or is when we leave God out of the conversation, which they did, when we leave God out of the situation, which they did, when we leave God out of the planning, which they did, here's what happens. We make ourselves vulnerable to the lie. We make ourselves vulnerable to the lie. We are deceived. See, Joshua was surrounded by the enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, so are you. So are you. It doesn't matter how sheltered of life you live. The enemy is intact and wants to attack. So we are surrounded. Joshua made a huge mistake for the second time. A huge mistake in leaving God out. He forgot. But can I just tell you something funny that happened to me Thursday morning? Because I'm up here preaching that we should remember and we should remember and we shouldn't forget. But I'm exercising on Thursday morning. I'm out for a walk and, you know, I got the greenway right behind, behind the neighborhood. So I want to get away from all these cars and I'm walking the greenway. And as I'm walking by one area, uh, the most deadly snake in, in all of the world was right there at the edge of the grass in the, the paved area. And it was ready to attack me, guys. It was gonna, <laughs> my wife already knows the story. She's laughing. It was going to strike me. So as I approached, I did this really cool maneuver like where I shifted to the left and I raised my leg up like that. And I, and I, made, an, ah, I made a noise like that. So it would have been like, ah, like this. I looked around real quick because it was embarrassing. No one heard me because there was no one there. But this snake turned out to be this awesome piece of black, like, garbage bag. Um, <laughs> and the way, the way it was ripped, it, it coiled up. 
So it made like this awesome body, and I guess like the weather and the sun had wilted it. So I'm serious. It was like this most beautiful snake structure, okay, laying in the grass. Nobody was around, but I still, I did my thing. So I walked past it going, oh my goodness, Mark. So I'm listening to music, I'm walking, I'm pumping, I'm saying, I gotta, get, I gotta get my abs back, right? So I'm going down the greenway, I go down all the way down. This time when I come back, for real, there was a huge black snake that wanted to attack me, and I kid you not, this is only 10 minutes went by, I did the same maneuver with the same little noise, flamingo leg up, trying to avoid the very same piece of garbage that I just walked by 10 minutes ago. And I tell you, this is gospel truth. This is a real story. This actually happened. I did the same evasive maneuver, made the same little noise for the same piece of garbage twice in 10 minutes. How could I forget that? How could I forget? And you know, I was writing my sermon as I'm walking, and I'm like, this is going to fit perfect because um, 10 minutes I forgot a piece of garbage. And then I thought, okay. What about the life experiences that are heart-wrenching, where our heart is literally torn out of our chest, just separated? You know experiences that I'm talking about, loss, health, financial. We're talking about great emotion, right? Tearing our hearts. What about, what about decisions that leave your brain spitting it out of control, like 100 miles an hour in an attempt to process what choice to make? What is the right choice? Do you understand? If I could forget a piece of trash in 10 minutes, and you're wrapped up with your mind and heart in this, it's so easy to forget God. It is so easy to forget God and his counsel. How many times have we forgotten God and his counsel? See, this is right now, Joshua 9. It's a time for assessment for you, for me. It's a time for evaluation. See, when I talk about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it doesn't say yourself, right? It doesn't say trust in yourself with all your heart and lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge yourself. No, it has nothing to do with you. In all your ways with all your heart, you're trusting and you're acknowledging Him. He will make your path straight. Folks, I don't want to walk a path that's jagged in terrain, like I said, and, and I don't want to walk with all the twists and curves and the steep inclines. I want a straight shot, man. I want a straight path. That's when you include God. And did you notice something in this verse? Is it still up? Oh, can we put that verse back up? Sorry, guys. It says, in all and with all. Do you see those words? Trust in the Lord with all. In all your ways acknowledge him. Those are four words I want to, st I want to stick in your brain. In all and with all. See, it's not you. It's not your understanding. Joshua showed us this. Joshua and the elders showed us what happened when they leaned on their own understanding. Twice. And twice it was massive mistakes. Not your understanding. The story of the Gibeonite deception illustrates for us this. It's just an awesome story. It illustrates for us perfectly what can happen when we don't consult God. So consulting God must be first for us. And get this. When I talk about trusting in God, when I talk about acknowledging God, I have to underscore the word all in these verses. All. All of your heart. All of your ways. That's all of you. We have to invite God into every aspect and every part of our life. Acknowledging Him with trust. Acknowledging Him with consult. 
in all and with all? Have you invited God into every part of your life? Because if not, read the story in Joshua 9 so that you can truly understand what happens when people still love God, want to honor God, want to live for God, but leave Him out of the conversation, the situation, and the planning. That is us. We're forgetful. We think uh, in lines of our own strength. And we have to put that to the side, like this verse says. We are to trust in the Lord with all. We are to acknowledge our God in all. And that's you and I completely giving our lives over to our God, consulting him in every part of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this message. Father God, we are forgetful people. We are the nation of Israel, Father. We are Joshua. We are the leadership. We forget about your power, Lord. We have the 12 stones in our life. Lord, we have things that we can memorialize and remember the great things that you've done. And we still press on in our own strength. Father, we have the stones like the cover Aiken. We know what disobedience and sin looks like in our lives. We know what regret looks like. We know what mistake looks like. Father, again, we see that and we can press on in our own strength. Lord, I'm just praying today for boldness for each and every Christian in here, Lord, that we give our hearts fully to you all, with all and in all, acknowledging and trusting you fully for our lives and in our lives. Guide us and lead us, Father. I know there's going to be mistakes that are made, but Father God, we just pray right now that we invite you into every aspect and every part of our lives. Do not let us forget the great things you've done. Do not let us forget, Father, what disobedience looks like. Let us use Scripture like this. The Gibeonite deception, Joshua 9. Let us use Scripture like this, Lord, to enhance and strengthen our walk with you. Our very life, Father, that's lived for you. Help us, because we need it. Father, we desperately need you, and we need your love and your guidance for our lives. And that's what I'm praying for for today, Lord. I'm praying, Father God, that we consult you on everything. We belong to you. You have us in the palm of your hands. Father, we would give everything to you. Why then can't we live for you daily and ask you, Father, to lead us to guide us, to invite you into every aspect of our lives. Father, help us use Scripture to see just how important it is to have a conversation with you. Let us see Scripture just how to show us how important it is, Father, to let you have a conversation with us so that we can receive it, Lord. We pray, we talk to you, you give, your word speaks to us, Father. It's a beautiful relationship. But Father, are we honoring that relationship in every area of our life? Father, that's what I want for this congregation. That's what I want for me, Lord. We're praying for that right now, Lord. Help us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this wonderful service, Father. We thank you for Brenda and Sue, Lord, that put together just a wonderful little memorial service for us. And I thank you for the families here, Lord, that are honoring their lost uh, loved ones, Lord, that served Lord, we just, we just thank you for this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.